Hi, my name is Corey Mitchell. I'm one of the elders here at LAFC. And my wife and I, our story of adoption began uh, a number of years ago, uh, about 2010. We ended up bringing home our daughters, Gina and Priscilla, in the spring of 2013. They were born in Ghana, in West Africa, and have been part of our family now for eight years. One of my takeaways from going through the adoption process and thinking of our family now um, is that this was a family that God had planned you know, from the foundations, from the beginning. Um, uh, adoptive families used the term of forever family. So this was the forever family. This was the family that he had in mind and that we were not complete as a family. Uh, we were not complete without them and they were not complete without us until we were all together. When they came into our family and became part of our family, they acquired a family story, a family history. They didn't just come into the family at that point in time, if you will, and the story began there, but they became part of a story that already had been a part of a family that had existed. When I think of adoption, I think of it in the context of the scriptures, I think of it as a Gentile. God had planned to bring Jew and Gentile together and make them one. I think of Ephesians, both the beginning of Ephesians, but also in Ephesians chapter 2 into chapter 3, and that idea that God's making um, one new family out of the two, bringing them together and making them one. And that was his plan, that he always had that plan. The history, the family history that we read in the scriptures, that's our history. We're part of that history as well. We've been adopted in. We're not second-class citizens. We're not, you know, lesser. We are full-fledged children of the living God. One of the themes in the book of Ephesians, one, one Lord, one family, one baptism. Uh, and, and when I think of our family, and I think of, in particular, our adopted daughters, I mean, that's not a phrase that we use. You forget there was ever a time when they weren't part of your family. Uh, you are truly one family, um, one household, one in every way. And so when I think of that phraseology, that, that language of Ephesians, one Lord, one baptism, uh, one new man, all those kind of ideas of one, uh, connecting it to our family story. It's that idea, these are my daughters, and it's like they never were not our daughters. We were always one family, uh, and the time came where that came to a completion, and we will be one family going forward. And so that's what we've been brought into, and when, when scriptures talk about that, our adoption, this oneness that's from the beginning and to the end um, of time. So hearing Corey Mitchell's story about what's happened in their family and, and the journey of adoption, you know, I, I've learned some things by families such as his, and that as you go and pursue adoption, it is not for the faint of heart. There are peaks and valleys along the way. In fact, there can be heartache as part of the journey, but when you are called to it, and when you do it, it you'll, you'll ride through that in spite of whatever pain you might experience. And therefore, I, I think it reflects well that, that adoptions is one of the greatest ways we can show the love of God to orphans. You know, he says in James 1.27 that, you know, a person whose religion is, is pure and faultless is the one who cares for widows, orphans, and is not polluted by the things of this world. And, and I think it's one of the greatest ways we can show the love of God is to adopt an orphan into your home. And so that's why we have Team 127 here at our church that walks alongside of people that are pursuing adoption, considering adoption, uh, actually adopting, and then into the, the challenges that come after adoption. Uh, that team is set up to minister all the way through that process, and I'm pleased to be a part of that team. And, uh, and so we would encourage people considering adoption as something you can do in your household. But I will say that that story has greater meaning when you understand that that's the calling of all those who discover a relationship with Jesus Christ that adoption may be the best way to tell our story. And perhaps your story will grow more unlike that of a person who has been adopted. 
So we are going to begin a series in the book of Ephesians today. So I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. And we will be in the book of Ephesians for the next several months. I love this book. If you are familiar with the theology um, of Paul that he teaches, you would say that Romans is where he outlines all the Christology and understanding of why Christ is necessary. And I would say Ephesians kind of rides under the wings of Romans, and it's that understanding and explanation of how that theology applies to the church and to each other as we go forward in day-to-day life. And so as we go into this text, we're going to discover much that, that's going to cause our minds to grapple. There's going to be things with our heart that's going to get provoked. And there will be things that we're going to cling to and say amen and hold on to it for strength on a day-to-day basis. So I'd like to dedicate this series to the Lord. Uh, so would you join me in prayer before we begin? Father, we are entering into a book that you, by your Holy Spirit, gave to Paul so that we could receive it and understand it and, and apply it all these years later. So I just ask that as every communicator that's a part of this series, every person that sits in this room to receive, uh, that by the end of the series we can say that we know better your heart and what you would have from your heart do to our heart and then from our hearts apply in the way we live our lives among other people. And so do your work and receive the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So Ephesians chapter one is where we begin today. And so I'm gonna read verses one to six and then come back and read verses one and two again. So verse one, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus the faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Christ Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It is my pleasure to open the word of God with you today. My name is Tony Hunt. I'm pastor here at LAFC. And if you're new here, let me explain what you're about to go through and experience this morning. We believe that the word of God is timeless, the enduring word of God. And we believe it's for all time. We can title series and you'll see Churches, including us, titling sermon series that will try to connect with you to understand that what's being taught is relevant for today. But let me tell you, the Word of God needs no help. It is relevant today as it has always been. It is timeless truth. And it is my joy to open the book of Ephesians here with you over the next several months because I believe it will enrich the church to fulfill its intended mission in a time when the light of the gospel is needed to be seen by the world from the church of God more than ever before. And so we need to cling to its truths and let it flow through our lives. And so as a result, we need to then let this word be received, let it teach our hearts, and not walk out of this room saying, oh, that that was good, but to apply, to apply it to our life so that others can benefit from what we have received. Paul gives us a hint. He begins right away with uh, some theology that we're going to get into more deeply this morning. And that hint or that start is in the very first line when he says, 
Paul, me, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, but not by my will, but by his will. Not by my choosing, but by his choosing. And then he writes this letter to holy people, but in particular, holy people whose faith is found in Christ Jesus. All right, so holy people, God's holy people, but they're the ones that are found in faith in Christ Jesus. So again, very important terms. You're going to see that unpacked as we go into chapters 1 and 2, that these words, holy people, and ascribed to those who have faith in Christ Jesus will mean more to you in the weeks ahead. But Paul writes this letter not by his choice, but by the choice of God. And we, those of us who have faith in Christ, are called holy people. And we're the recipients, the target audience of all that he writes here. And he writes it saying that I do so in the name of God the Father and Christ Jesus, the Messiah. He is the one whose will I speak under. So verse 3, he begins with saying then, after saying grace and peace to you, praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Praise be to God. The term praise means to speak well of. So to speak well of God because of something he's about to say. And in this case, he says, praise God, speak well of God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So his initial word or charge to the church is, Praise God. Can I hear a praise God? Praise God. Awesome. That was with energy. Praise God. We say we speak well of you, God, because he has blessed us greatly. He has blessed us greatly. And he says that blessing begins in the heavenly realms. Now, that's an important thing to, to highlight in this moment is that the blessing of a God begins in the heavens. You know, Paul speaks of this regularly, that we are not citizens here of the earth, but rather we're citizens of, of, of God. We are a part of the family of God. Peter goes as far to say that, that we should actually live like aliens and strangers here on this earth because we are citizens of heaven. So we don't belong here. We're merely transporting through here. We're, we're sojourners here on this earth. But when God includes us in his family, we become citizens of some other place, a, the heavenlies. And so therefore we're given this blessing from heaven that we are now part of heaven. We get to experience heaven. We get to look forward to heaven. And in the meantime, we walk on this earth in anticipation of that. So we praise God, we speak well of God, because that is a significant blessing that we can live life knowing that if my life ends today, I go to my perfect and final forever home. Now, did you just hear what I said? Forever home. You heard Corey mention that, that when adopting their children, when they were included into his home, he says that is their forever home. No longer are they going from house to house. This is your forever home. This is your forever family. In the same way, for those of us who are part of the family of God, when we have faith in Christ Jesus, we are then a part of that family, and our forever home is heaven. That is our citizenship. That's where our new passport, if you will, is of belonging. That's where we belong. It's not here on the face of this earth. So when he speaks of this, that, that we're blessed, we're praising God because we're blessed because of what happens in the heavenlies and with every spiritual blessing while here on the earth. So it's not just 
a heavenly experience, that we can anticipate that as our forever home, but we're given the opportunity then to experience every spiritual blessing or every blessing that would come from the Spirit of God while here on this earth. Now, if you haven't picked up on it, then this means that we have just talked about the fullness of the Trinity. The triune God, Father, has already been spoken of. Son has already been spoken of. And now we speak of the Spirit. That we praise God, we speak well of God because we've received from God this eternal forever home that is in Christ Jesus. And then we anticipate each day every spiritual blessing or every blessing possible from the Spirit. In verses 4 to 6 in chapter 1, it speaks of the Father's role in all of this uh, bringing of us becoming part of his family, the salvific journey for those who come in Christ. It speaks of the Father's role in verses 4 to 6. In verses 7 to 12, you'll see the Son's role in all of that. And, and that will be next week's sermon. But then in three weeks, or in two weeks from today, you'll see us talking about the Holy Spirit's role in our salvation as part of this. So the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit being spoken of here already in one verse, in verse 3. Which then leads us on to verse 4, which says, For he chose us in him, that being Christ, so for he chose us in Christ before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Let me read that again. For he, the Father, chose us in Christ, his Son, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Which then means, because this is all part of the continuation, we praise God for his blessings. Now we're, he's saying, and we are blessed because we are seen by God as holy and blameless. Now, let me give some gravity to that statement. If I was to assign every person in this room a shadow for the week, choosing another person in this room to shadow you for a week, would they at the end of that week say through their eyes that you are holy and blameless? kind of thought I saw a couple of you going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they'd see me as holy and blameless. Really? I don't think, okay, maybe, maybe some of you might say, yeah, 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 I, I would say comparatively, they're living a holy life. But to use the term blameless, uh uh. I mean, any of you could shadow my life for probably a day and say, you can already take the blameless term out. Maybe I'd make it to day two on the holy term, but, but really, to say that God sees you as holy and blameless dumbfounds my mind. Because the God who says, I know as you just read, heard the Psalm uh, 136 read to you today, what did it say? I can perceive your thoughts from afar. I can know your words before you say them. So if God can know your thoughts before you even think them, and God can know your words before you could ever say them, then he certainly knows you're not blameless. And he certainly knows you're not holy. So how is it that God can make this crazy statement that when he looks at you and I, he says, holy, pure, set apart. That's what that term means. And then he says, blameless, can't be accused, would stand in the court before me and be found innocent. That's what God says he sees you as. And he says that specifically that for he chose you in Christ Jesus before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. So in other words, God, for those who have come in faith of Jesus Christ, those he calls in verse 1 to God's holy people, 
who are faithful in Christ, he says, I have chosen them, and I chose them before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in my sight. Saying that, if this is possible to say in the English, he never not knew you as being holy and blameless. Doesn't that, like, just hit you? To know that if you have faith in Christ and you've discovered that relationship that comes through Jesus Christ, that God has always seen you before the creation of the world, before time ever existed. He always knew you as holy, set apart, perfect, untainted, and blameless. And blameless. So we are seen and therefore blessed by God to have that ascribed to us as holy and blameless. And this is not because of our works or our merit, our efforts, but only because of Christ and the Father God's choosing of us. So for he chose us before the creation of the world in Christ Jesus to be holy and blameless in his sight. So there is nothing you or I do to receive such a lens of perfection through, the, through which God sees. None of our work was in that. It was all done by Christ. Initiated by the will of God. So continuing on, verse 5 explains that even more. So in love, which if you notice is the end of verse 4, in love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, when you see a verse like that, where verse 4 has a period and it has something that's kind of two words left hanging, we know that verses and chapters were given to the scriptures later. They were given to him later. So this letter was written without verses, without uh, things like that that would say chapter and verse. It also wasn't written with periods. That's the interesting thing. So we have to discern the ending. And it's pretty much in agreement that when they were putting in the periods and they're putting in the verses, in love was orphaned off of where it belonged. It belongs in verse 5. There are some that would say in love does belong in verse 4, and therefore you would read it like this, that before the creation of the world, uh, to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. If therefore, in that kind of reading, it would modify the human being. That the human being in love responds to the choice of God, therefore that being called blameless and holy. If you understand the greatness of this context, modifying the human being is not likely what was intended by the author. It is better describing and connected to, in love, he predestined us for adoption. So I'm going to take what the, the vast majority of theologians and Bible scholars would say, is that it modifies what God does through predestinational work of adoption. So reading it that way, in love, God predestined or predetermined or pre-chose you for adoption to, this, to sonship through Jesus Christ. And this was in accordance with his pleasure and will. Now, a just read a term, predestined, that causes some of you to just operate with a little bit of delight and giddiness. Because if you're a Reformed theologian, you know this is the meat of where your belief comes from. And then for those of you that might come from an Arminian point of view, or a, what we would say is a free will uh, choice of man, and whereas the Reformed theologian would say it's all the sovereignty work of God, we're, we're in this point where we're like, you got to keep reading. It, we'll better explain ourselves from this, from this side of things. So I'm going to let you know, today I'm going to tease you theologically. And next week we'll get into it more, but you'll leave it very unfulfilled. So how's that for a disclaimer from a pastor? 
what I will tell you is that in the Evangelical Free Church of America, we consider it a beautiful thing that we will ordain pastors from the Arminian point of view and from the Reformed point of view because we believe that the, with the, the growth and, and strength of both sides, they are rooted from Scripture and interpreted from Scripture. And of course, different theologians are going to land in different places, but they're both finding their direction from Scripture. And in the free church, what we would say is we're going to live with the beautiful tension of working that out together rather than dividing over it. So welcome to the Evangelical Free Church of America where we're going to talk about some things that are uncomfortable at different points for all of us. And we're going to address it head on and we're going to call out mystery where there's mystery and call out truth where there's truth. So can I continue knowing that? With your permission from those who believe in the sovereign God, would you believe that God's sovereignty is allowing me to speak and continuing to speak? Here we go. So verse 4, it is through love. It is through love that God has predestined, predetermined, pre-chosen you and I, for those of us who are in Christ, for adoption to sonship through Jesus. It's a loving act. However you understand predestination, it is a loving act of God. And it happens alone through the work of Jesus Christ. So when you see this, it is blessing, it is a blessing that we have received this work that is done in Jesus Christ, not by the works of mankind, but by God. You see in this, for in the beginning, he chose us from the, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless, verse 4, and in love, he then predestined, pre-chose, predetermined that you're going to be adopted for sonship before you ever drew your first breath. God lovingly adopted us as heirs before we ever drew our first breath. Let me explain something that, that in the Greek is very profound to me. So when I was going in there, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm doing the typical, okay, predestined, just re relearning how it's spoken in the Greek, and, and election, and, and then, of course, looking at chosen and all those things. But then when I went to look, again, just at this phrase, adoption to sonship, in the English it's a phrase because it's necessary for us to understand a single word in the Greek. Because in the Greek, it is the term hoithesian. Hoithesian, which means this. It's adoption to sonship in the English because in their culture, it's a type of adoption, adoption that means they're adopted with immediate rights to inherit. And that only came through the firstborn son. So the only way we can possibly understand what kind of adoption we're talking here is that culturally speaking is to say that this isn't just an adoption where they can have more children so that they can work the fields and do all the things around the house. No, this is an adoption to give full rights as heirs. In other words, God has heaven that he wants to give to his family. And so he is choosing children to be adopted into his family so he can give them the full pleasures, the full rights as the firstborn for all of eternity. Now, when you put that into picture, it's significant. Because it's not just sequential. This person is adopted by, by, by the, the father and their child number three, and so their only value is number three. They're at the mercy of number one. Because in their culture, the firstborn would get the full inheritance and, and the rest of the children would have to look to the firstborn to see what they get, if anything. If you are a child here in the, and you're still under the age of 18, imagine if you're not the firstborn and you look to your older brother and sister, in particular your older brother, in this period of time, that older brother would be the one to choose what you get from your parents. Would you trust them with that choice? Likely not. So it's interesting here 
that God not only has chosen us before creation of the world, before time ever began, but he has then chosen us and predestined us for an adoption before we ever drew our first breath. But to particular, to inherit everything. To inherit everything. It's a fascinating thing. I, I shared this more in the, the benediction in first service, but I think it probably goes well here. That if you're a Star Wars fan, there's an interesting moment that happens, happens in episode 7. That, uh, oh, I'm sorry, not episode 7. Yes, it is. Episode 7. My bad. Episode 7, when a stormtrooper who's leaving the stormtrooper family, but is wanting to escape, but has no identity, and then runs into another person who says, what should I call you, or what's your name? And he gives this long number. Some of you know that number because you're that addicted to Star Wars. Call it out. Go ahead if you know it. There you go. F1217. <laughs> Told you. I knew somebody in the room would know. As long, Ross, as long as your son knows who Jesus is, we're all good. We're all good. But in that moment, it's fascinating because the response is, well, let's just call you Finn. But up to that moment, he had a number. And why is it a number? Because stormtroopers were clones over and over and over. And there's numbers. And so they're just given a number, and that's their only identity. And they're further down the line, the larger the number. Here's the interesting thing. Some of you are a lot older than me. Some of you are quite a bit younger than me. No matter when you gave your life to Jesus Christ, your number is still one. Your number is still one. You're still firstborn. You have no rights over me, and I have no rights over you. We all inherit the fullness of that which comes in Jesus Christ. And the beauty of that is that regardless, again, of our birth order, within the kingdom of God, that we're all treated as firstborns, it means that you may never even get the opportunity to do anything with that. How many people have you known that gave their life to Jesus Christ with their dying breath? It's happened. I mean, think of the thief on the cross. He was hurling insults at Jesus earlier while on that cross, mocking Jesus. And then at some point, maybe it was with some of the words that Jesus said that where Father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing or, or other things where he appeals to the Father, where are you, Father? It moved the heart of that thief to the point where he finally said, Lord, would you remember me in your kingdom today? And Jesus didn't hesitate. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So what would be that thief's storyline for his life? Whatever he had done was awful enough to be arrested and put on a cross and given time for a beating in public, uh, for public shaming. It was bad enough of a life. He was a, he was a poor example of a human being. He even mocked the person on the cross next to him. What kind of character is that? But in one moment, something hit the heart. And in that one moment, when he responded to Jesus... He was given all the full rights of inheritance that I'm going to inherit when I get to the kingdom of heaven. And I've had a lifetime to be able to honor God for what he's done for me. And he had a breath. He had a breath to honor God. And it lasted a moment. And then he was experiencing all of eternity. You see, that is the amazing aspect to this idea that God not only chose us before the creation of the world to become holy and blameless in his sight, which blows my mind. And then for him to say, not only that, but I adopt you, I predestine you, I determined beforehand, before you were ever born, you're going to be mine and you're going to be number one. You're going to be my firstborn. You are going to inherit the full rights of the kingdom of heaven. And why would he do that? Look at the end of verse 5. He did that in accordance with his pleasure and will. With his pleasure and will, which says this. 
Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Jesus says, For the joy set before him, for the joy set before him, he endured what? The cross. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. What was the joy set before him? A family that was going to be identified and was going to live forever in the forever home with him and the Father for all of eternity. For the joy set before him, he endured the suffering of that cross, scorning the shame of that cross so that you and I could be brought in as one. The first, experience all of the rights of heaven from those of us who have had long life to give glory to God to those of us who will have short periods of time to the glory of God. All of us experience the fullness of heaven because Jesus chose for the joy set before him, scorning and shame, that shame of the cross, so that you and I could experience that forever which helps me appreciate the adoption journey. I think I can best understand and, and lower my anxiety about this predetermined, this pre-choosing that God does, that's done in love. As he says, it is done in love. I can understand it best and appreciate it best and lower my anxiety when I consider just a normal adoption journey here in the United States. As I said before, choosing to adopt is not for the faint of heart. It comes with peril. A few years ago, there was a great wailing instantaneously in the United States that many of you are not aware of. What was that wailing? It was the day that Russia chose to cl close its doors to all adoptions to the United States. It was a retaliation to an act of the president. No more adoptions from our country. Why was there a wailing? Because there were families that had already visited the children that they were adopting. They had already built relationships. They had already been sending letters. They already knew their names. They were already showing pictures and sharing pictures with each other. And then in one stroke of the pen, not giving that option, there was pain that came with it. Even in the Mitchell story, there is pain in the journey of coming to that place where they were able to finally adopt their two girls that were meant for their forever home. They were older. They were already able to speak. They were able, already able to run, and, and their personalities were on display. But I want to say that while we can appreciate all that was done and the beauty of that, those girls did nothing to earn to be in the Mitchell household. For those of us that know Corey and Sue, we know them to be godly people that we respect. And we say, those girls were blessed to go into that home. But those girls did nothing other than be born to go into that home. Now, would it be, what should I say? That they are holy and blameless in the eyes of Corey and Sue? No, they know their children's weaknesses already. They know their sin patterns, but they love them all the more, and they chose them. They even love those children as much as their one biological daughter that they already had. You can tell no difference by the way they treat any of them as to who's firstborn, who's adopted, who's biological. The love is the same. But there's also a journey of the heart for the adopted child. As they go later in life, they begin to consider all that has happened. And sometimes they struggle with the idea that they were chosen, not kept. Many of you know those stories. And depending on how that story goes, sometimes that can be an intense season. And it grieves the heart of the adoptive parents because it's like, I love you. As much as if you were born out of my own womb, I love you. But until that child comes to a place of understanding that the decision to adopt or the choice and the selection of them is as great as being born to them, they will struggle internally. So true is it for a believer that when we come into a saving relationship of Jesus Christ, somewhere along the line, 
we get this idea that our identity isn't sufficient to trust in that Christ did all the work. We start trying to figure out other ways, and it grieves God's heart. I chose you. I wanted you. I love you as much as any other child I have. But meanwhile, we resist. We continue to test. There's nothing more beautiful than when that adopted child who struggles with being chosen versus kept, when they come to that place of peace and realizing the beauty of what God has done in their life by providing that set of parents. I still remember to this day a kid whose life got totally captured by Jesus Christ at camp. We brought them back to the church from after that week of camp, and they're now a child of God. And it just connected a lot of dots. They've been totally rebelling against their parents that had adopted him. And when he came off that bus and he sees his parents, he runs and he embraces them. And they hear from his mouth for the first time in years, I love you. Mom and dad. So too it is with us. After running and rebelling, even if we've tasted of salvation in that relationship with Jesus Christ, there comes that point where we realize, I've been running, and I'm thankful to you, Jesus. Thank you for choosing me. And we come to peace once again. And our esteem and our identity is restored. And our relationship with God takes off. Verse 6 kind of closes this thought before it transitions next week as we go into verse 7 next week. But it says, we, we understand that Jesus does this. This predetermined, this predestined of adoption happens in Jesus Christ and this is done because it pleases him and it's his will to do so. And he does so to the praise of his glorious grace. Praise to his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. So that word praise comes back in. So we speak well of, we praise God for this grace that's been given us in Christ Jesus to be adopted into his big family. Not as number 1,200 and whatever, but as number one. All of us together, equally coming before the Father and him saying, this is all yours. One professor said this, this was like God writing his will out. And as soon as he signs the will, he goes and dies so that that will will be enforced. Such grace. Such glorious grace. Amen? Father God, I do praise you. I speak well of you in this moment because I've been blessed been blessed that before the creation of the world, before time was ever started, you always knew that I was going to become a part of your family. That blows my mind. And I say thank you for your love that is shown through your son Jesus. But God, I just pray that, that you will work on the hearts of people here. That if they're that child that's been adopted and they've known it, they've been in relationship with you, but they've been running away, they're unsatisfied, and they're fighting you. That they'll come to that place and realize you love them beyond anything they could ever imagine. And they receive that and they come to peace. But for others here in this room, Maybe today is the day of their adoption where they discover that which you had decided long ago. So God, do your work. We praise you, we bless you because it is indeed a glorious grace. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Out of your love, you gave it. For it's in your son Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you stand, please? Church, let's celebrate that we've been set free through our adoption.
chosen, that we are heirs, we are holy and blameless, not because of ourselves, but because we are related to the King. God, you have chosen us. Church, let's celebrate with these words, declaring our freedom, declaring who he is. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am
So invitation goes out to this group to experience the grace of God is simply receiving that which is the invitation. God does the work. He initiates in you and he will start something beautiful that you will never regret was ever begun. And so if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ and you're feeling the the promptings in your heart that you want this to become your adoption story this day, then I would encourage you to take the time now to just cry out to God and say, receive me as your child. Just like that thief on the cross said, remember me in your kingdom. Receive me. I'm not perfect. I'm not holy. I'm not blameless. Receive me. And then experience what it means when a God looks at you then as holy and blameless. That's the journey we would love to have you on. If you'd like to talk with someone about that, you can go to the encounter room. If you want to pray with that person, uh, the people that are in the encounter room about just the fact you've been on a journey of you need to come back to Christ, please do so. I'll be up front as well. I'll be glad to talk with you. But I want to save my last words for the firstborns in the room. Do you realize what that means? That the most powerful being in all the world says, you are mine and you inherit it all. We should not walk in fear. We should not lack in self-esteem issues. We should not lack in confidence. We should not be acting brashly. We should not be acting as if we're under attack. We stand confident with who we are in Christ. That changes everything. So behave as a firstborn who is already seen by God as holy and blameless. Amen. (laughs) Go in this week with all the confidence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're dismissed.